0: Isaiah chapter 8 this evening, disowning apostates, is uh, part of what's in here. I don't know, do lost souls take God seriously? I think many of them think they do, but when it, you start getting to the evidences of who God is and the, the facts, then it, then you'd really find out if they take him seriously or not. This is the story of all Israel and her days of waywardness uh, just didn't take their God seriously, many of them. The remnant, there's always a remnant. Always, there always is, always will be until Christ's return. There's going to be a remnant. Uh, he is never without a witness somewhere. Well, in verse 1, Moreover, Yahweh said to me, Take a large scroll and write on it with a man's pen concerning Mahashalah Hashbaz. <laughs> So, it's interesting, the prophets did not create a prophetic dynasty. It was, my, I'm a prophet, my son's a prophet. Every now and then it would happen, but it wasn't regular. So, it, it, it just makes this, it, it, it's a calling from God, not an appointment of people. You're not born into a prophetic office. Um, a, a man's son is not obligated to be a pastor, and it's just an interesting thing, but any, back to this, what we're considering, this large scroll. Well, it's not a note, it's a message, and it really isn't a scroll. The translators are just challenged so many times to try to get it, to move it from one language and one period in history to the present day. It's more of a tablet, a placard, and uh, this, that's what he's going to write on perhaps a flat piece of wood or something like that. He's going to get it where it's going to be posted, this message in chapter 8 that we're discussing. And uh, he's going to restate the prophecies in this chapter, much of it that we covered in chapter 7, giving us a little bit more information. And just remember the background. Here is King Ahaz on the throne in Judah at this point in time. The northern kingdom is still there. Samaria is where the capital is. Here in the southern kingdom, Jerusalem is the center uh, of the, of the Judean kingdom. Ahaz is a wicked king. Isaiah the prophet is now a seasoned prophet, having been a prophet in the days of Uriah and Jotham his son. And he is trying to get the king to listen to God. Well, the king is an apostate king. And the Assyrians, the world power, is looking to gobble everybody up. So the northern kingdom, Samaria being the capital, they join an alliance with Syria to fight the Assyrians. Judah says, I don't want to join with you guys. And they they sneak around and go to Assyria and say, I'd like to be on your side. And the Assyrians said, good. You will be a snack later, but we'll take you for now. And so that's what's happening. This this threat of this, so the Syrians and and the uh, the, the northern kingdom are going to force Judah Judah to join them. And that's where this problem is. And the prophet Isaiah comes along, so they're not going to win. And here are the signs, and here are the wonders. This is a big deal. People looking to conquer your country and enslave you and kill and pillage, all the things they do in war. So uh, that's the background. He says concerning Mahashala Hashbaz. I only repeated that 400 times today to be able to get through it up here this evening. I did did not. Uh, Anyway, uh, that word concerning, he is talking about the impending Syrian Ephraimite invasion, the Northern Kingdom invasion. That's what this is centered in. Now, these are This is Isaiah's son. And uh, so was the other one that was mentioned in chapter 7, Sheerah Jashub. Both of these are his sons. And I'd stop here, because maybe you have Bible, study Bibles, and they'll point out, we don't know if it was Isaiah's son, or, you know, they just get a little confused, it seems, which is easy to do. But verse 18 tells us clearly that these are his sons. I, I don't get it. Guys, I really respect... And still respect. Uh, But when it comes to this, they they just got, to me, some of them, a little off. And I I tell you that, so if you read it in your study Bible, you know they are wrong. And I am right. And that's just what makes the world go around. So, anyway, you can look at verse 18 and you'll find out, hmm, he is right. Don't tell him. It'll give him satisfaction. Well, the names here. Well, I want to also point out, some say... The child born to the virgin, and we read about last session, named Emmanuel, is also Isaiah's son. But that's not possible, because she is referred to as a virgin, and Isaiah already had Sheer-Jeshub as a child. So, it takes a lot of time and work to (laughs) nail these things down and see if you're not missing anything. Coming back to this, uh, the first child, named uh, the remnant, shall return. It's prophetic. It's telling the Jews there's going to be a remnant and they're going to come back, which means everybody was taken away. We know, looking at the history, we know that he's talking about the Babylonian uh, invasion and and captivity of, of Judah. They're going to learn that. But the second son, speed to the spoil, that's what his name means, this Maher Shalah Hashabaz, And uh, uh, this is talking about those two armies, the Northern Kingdom and Syria, they're going to be conquered. And their goodies are going to be taken by the Assyrians. You say, you know, I just want to have my devotion time in Isaiah (laughs) 8. Come on, can I just get to the point where Christ is king? Well, he is sovereign over this. We're going to get back to it. And so the prophet's saying, these two armies Ahaz that are are coming against you, and you're lining up with Assyria, which is wrong, and i get to that in a minute, uh, they're going to lose their wealth. They're going to be defeated. Those armies are going to take everything. And armies in those days were motivated by not their retirement plan or VA benefits, but the spoils they got to take from cities and villages they conquered. The kings would get the tribute and the taxes as the rule. Sometimes it would switch around a little bit. But overall, the men, they got to loot. And whatever they could carry out, they, that would be theirs. Well, Achan is an example of that. God told the Jews, don't take anything. And Achan took the gold and the garments, and it didn't do go well with him. So... Uh, from killing machines to looters, that's just the way it was. Not so much paper, patriotism and glory that motivated them. But this dual meaning, the invasion from the northern kingdom in Syria will, will stop. There will be survivors in Judah. But and ultimately, the, even Judah is going to go into captivity and there will be survivors. All of that is built into the names of his two sons. Verse 8, uh, verse 2, you wish, verse 8. And I will take for myself faithful witnesses to record, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeroboam. These guys are just, you know, single-syllable names, just like an anathema to these people. At this time, these two men were considered faithful eyewitnesses to the people. So God is saying, Isaiah, I want everybody to know that you called what is happening, like me giving it to you, long before it happens. So when it happens, we'll have these witnesses that everybody respects. When when these guys say, yeah, we, we heard him say it, uh, God will get the glory. Isaiah will bring this up later in, the, in the, when we get to the, into the 40s, chapters in the 40s. Uh, he'll, he'll bring this, God will bring it up, how he... No one else makes prophecy like him. Anyway, they will witness Isaiah's predictive prophecy and its fulfillment, and no one could uh, honestly refute it. No one could say, oh, I didn't know. And no one could say, oh, it's just a coincidence because he's got these witnesses. However, the first one mentioned Uriah the priest. Within two years, Uriah will officially become an apostate priest. Sad. He will build a pagan altar in Jerusalem that evil King Ahaz saw in Damascus. And he loves, I must have it. It was a desideratum to him. Oh, I just got to have this at the temple. So he sends the plans to Jerusalem, and this high priest rushes to get it done. Come on, we got to get it done before he gets back. I'm just making this up. No, I'm not. No, it's right here in the scripture. Go to 2nd... Don't turn there, because I'll be gone by the time you get there. 2nd Kings, chapter 16, verse 11. Then Uriah the priest built an altar according to all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So, Uriah the priest made it before King Ahaz came back from Damascus. So... The prophet Isaiah said, in two years this threat will be gone. So we just leap ahead a little bit. The Assyrians come in. They take out Damascus. King Ahaz goes up to visit them. He sees this altar. He goes to meet with Tiglath-Pileser, the Assyrian king. He sees this altar. He's got to have it. Sends the plans back. And this is what uh, uh, is happening. Now it says, Uriah the priest, Urijah the priest in, in Kings. A little different in the name, but it's the same guy. Uh, uh, so... It's like asking unbelievers how to do church. It's like asking an unbeliever, how should I be a Christian? Uh, How should I be a Christian father? How should I be a Christian man? How should I be a Christian pastor? A Little leaven leavens the whole lump. What does a lot of leaven do to the lump? This is a lot of leaven. Now, Zechariah, the other guy here, at the time, he's not an apostate priest yet. Some speculate, maybe it wasn't the same guy, but I think it was. Uh, Zechariah here is not to be confused with the prophet Zechariah, who gives us the book of Zechariah. He, he, he's not even born yet. So uh, uh, there you go. He's got these witnesses. These are the two men. At the time, they are faithful men. But later, the, uh, one of them at least seems to cave. Verse 3, Then I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then Yahweh said to me, Call his name Mahashelah Hashbaz. Verse 4, For before the child shall have knowledge to cry, My father and my mother, the riches of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be taken away before the king of Assyria. Well, uh, he repeats the name just to make it difficult to uh, Western pastors have to repeat that again. Uh, Before the child shall have knowledge to cry, My father. Uh, Well, before we start, uh, again, the confirmation that this is the wife of Isaiah is in verse 18. She is called a prophetess because their sons, the two of them, uh, have a prophetic role. Not in p- direct prophecy, but in their names. And this is, um, you know, includes her in, in the prophetic process. We have no evidence of her of her being a prophetess. There are four other women in the Old Testament referred to as prophets. But that doesn't always mean they predicted the future. It, it also means that uh, it could mean, in addition, that they represented the Lord in a leadership form. Uh, Miriam over the women. Uh, and Miriam went south when she turned on Moses. You know, God struck her with leprosy. No one is, uh, uh, God is no respecter of persons. That's in Exodus 15 where Moses' sister Miriam is referred to as a prophetess. Deborah, or Deborah, I prefer Deborah because it's, it's what it is in, in, in after it's been westernized. Uh, Judges 4, she becomes a leader because none of the men wanted to be the leader. And this is a rebuke. There, they, there was a, a role reversal because the men were just, you know. She told Barak go conquer, and he said, "Okay, but can you come with me?" And she said, "Well, if I go with you, I'm going to get some. I'm going to get the glory." And he said, "I don't care." That's <laughs> like an X-ray into what was going on with the men while, while, in Judges, everything was so messed up. And it's true today when you, when you, when men are no longer bucks, you got a problem in your society. Anyway. Huldah the prophetess in Second Kings of uh, Josiah, uh, the prophet, uh, the king sent to her uh, concerning the word of God, and then Noadiah in Nehemiah, she uh, uh, she appears to have been a, an apostate because she sided against uh, Nehemiah. Anyway, there you go. I, if you you know, well, verse four where <laughs> it. Um, Coming back to verse 4, for before the child shall have knowledge to cry, my father and my mother. So he's setting a timeline. He's saying before the child, this, his son now, not the other child born to the virgin, Emmanuel, but his son, Baz, we can call him for short. Uh, before he learns to say, my mom and my dad, form complete sentences. Well, that's my, my mom. It's a complete sentence. Uh, so he's probably going to be two, three years old. Within two years, that's what he is saying. And he's using his children and his family in, in ministry in this way. And I'll, I'll come back to that. And he's saying by, by the time he forms sentences, <clears throat> these two invading forces will be vanquished. And we know by the Assyrians. Uh, and that is confirmed in as we, we move forward. Um. Verse 5, Yahweh also spoke to me again, saying, inasmuch, verse 6 now, as these people refuse the waters of Shiloah that flow softly and rejoice and reason and in Ramalia's son. Hmm. Well, these people, not my people. See, this, 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 the, God is disowning the apostates. He doesn't want anything to do with them. He doesn't want any confusion that these are my people. As Paul would say in the New Testament, not everybody who is a Jew has got the faith of Abraham. Uh, anyway, he, actually, he's a little bit more forceful than that. But uh, these two kingdoms will, will um, well, the northern kingdom and their apostates aren't trusting Yahweh. Syria certainly isn't trusting them against Assyria. That they join together and remain Idolaters is evidence of that. And uh, he says they refused the waters of Shiloh, that flow softly. Shiloah means scent. Shiloh means peace. So it's not to be confused in, in the Hebrew. Well, the waters of Shiloh were waters that ran through a channel or an aqueduct from the springs of Gihon into the pool of Siloam. Hezekiah's tunnel has not yet been built. He's not yet king. Ahaz is his father, though. And what the Lord is saying is, instead of trusting, he's using metaphor, instead of trusting Shiloh's waters, God, you want to you uh, tr- refuse these waters that flow softly. He's going to go on and say, so you're going to get a flood. You're going to get a tsunami. It's going to be the Assyrians. He's saying this to, to Judah. He says, you rejoice in reason and Ramalia's son. Again, Isaiah does not want to name the despicable king, Pekah. Uh, and he, he mentions a Syrian king by name, but he will not say that, <laughs> Pekah, again. And it's, it's noticeable when you see, wait a minute, is, he's doing it with the Syrian king, but he's not naming. He, got, he has a name, he said it once, won't say it again. So uh, God is pointing out, not only to Judah, but to the northern kingdom too, is you're, you're not trusting in me, you're trusting in other things. Verse 7, Now therefore, behold, the Lord brings up over them the waters of the river, strong and mighty, the As- uh, the king of Assyria, and all his glory. He will go up over all the, his channels and go over all, all his banks, okay, so he's saying you didn't trust the soft springs of Gihon flowing into Jerusalem, which was the blessings of God. Instead, you trusted in yourself, and because of that, and now part of this is woven into Judah. He's saying also to Judah, because you trusted in the Assyrians, they're going to flood Israel, or Judah, and they did. They devastated Judah. It wasn't for the angel of the Lord wiping out 185,000 of them in one night. They would have taken Jerusalem, too. But they took everything else. And so the prophet points this out. And here's the king listening to him uh, and saying, nah, we don't believe you. Well, there is uh, the Assyrians defeated the invading forces and the people in Jerusalem who were listening to Isaiah said, Ha, huh, you were wrong. You were telling us the Assyrians, you know, we're going to flood us. And they did not. They beat our enemies for us. Isaiah is going to say, you wait and see what happens. It ain't over. And, and, and that's exactly what happened. It, and the Assyrians did uh, come against them and destroy Israel. Judah barely survived the Assyrian onslaught. There is a way that seems right to man, but its way leads to death. Well, how would I know? Well, stick with the scripture. That's how you'll know. It's not like, well, it's anybody's guess. No, it's not anybody's guess. It's not a free-for-all. And he's going to say that at the end of the chapter. If I ever get there tonight, one of the best parts about this eighth chapter is how he closes it up. And so... The right way, he'll cover in verses 19 through 22. Coming back now to verse 8. <clears throat> I'm leaving out a lot of details because I'm trying not to put you to sleep. Uh, he will pass through Judah. He will overflow and pass over. He will reach up to the neck. And the stretching out of his wings will fill the breath, uh, the breath of your land, O Emmanuel a very high price to pay calling evil to fight evil. Instead of King Ahaz calling on Yahweh to fight the invading forces of Syria and the northern kingdom, he called on Assyria and the prophet condemned it from the beginning. The land of Emmanuel, which is God's land, suffered because of their anti-Yahweh politics. Now, if you're in high school or school, Others around you may have antichrist, uh, an anti-Christ lifestyle. And that's the same thing that Isaiah is dealing with, with those who didn't believe him. But it was anti-Yahweh, who's Old Testament Christ. This is how these people wanted it, so this is how they would get it. Uh, they would be flooded by an enemy who the prophet warned them of. This O Emmanuel goes back to the last chapter, the prophet Isaiah tying it in, the righteous remnant would appreciate that. And uh, they had a name that they were alive, but they were dead. Well, where else do we hear that? The church at Sardis. Christ says, you have a name that you're alive, but I say you're dead. Man, that is... Can you imagine having the Lord say that to a church? Uh, it's incidentally, when, when the Lord addressed the churches, he addressed the angel singular. Of the church. That's the pastor, singular. Uh, He holds him primarily responsible, but the others don't get off the hook because he can't be the pastor unless they support him. So they're guilty too. And we're going to find God's going to say to Assyria, I used you as the instrument of judgment, but I'm going to judge you too. Because you got some big issues. And I'm not going to give you a pass on those. So the land of God. The land of God with us became the land of God without us. The judgments will fall. And this points, this Emmanuel points to a future victory. And when the Jews were coming back from captivity in Babylon, these things meant a lot to them. It meant a lot that God was mindful of a remnant. And it means a lot to us when we hear that during that great tribulation period, God is still going to be saving souls. That means something to us. It's going to mean a lot more to them. When they're going through it, they're going to have Bibles. And uh, they're going to have recorded sermons. Uh, They're they're going to understand the gospel. And they're going to be martyred because of it. The onslaught against Christianity will be more severe than it's ever been in human history. Verse 9. Be shattered, O you peoples, and be broken in pieces. Give ear, all you from far countries. Gird yourselves but be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, but be broken in pieces. Verse 10, take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak the word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. So the prophet is saying to the forces that want to conquer his people, and it, here it's Assyria, but it, it could be anywhere in ages. This is, he's not addressing righteous people. When he says, be shattered, O you peoples, be broken in pieces, give ear, uh, all you from far countries. And he, he's, it's a taunt. He says, gird yourselves. You won't be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, but be broken in pieces. That's what he says. Take counsel together. He says, speak the word. Now, I'm talking about the Bible. He's talking about their plans. So he's, he's taunting the foreign invaders. And he's saying, I'm using you, but you're going to be judged too. Because you're guilty. Uh, just because I used you doesn't mean you're innocent. There's something to think about. Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we prophesy in your name? And Jesus said, get away from me. I I never knew you. God knows the difference between a fraud and the the genuine believer, which is brought out in the story of the woman who touched the hem of his garment. Now, that hem of the garment was hanging over the back you know, we think of a hem. We think it's the bottom of the of the. But when you take a robe, the fringe, the way they wrapped it, they throw that back end tassel hanging over the back. It was one way they did it, and that's what she grabbed hold on. And he made a distinction between everybody else and her. He singled it out. And uh, Christ knows how to do. That's part of the lesson. The Lord knows how to make distinctions between those who are genuine and those who are in, who are not sincere. Joel says the same thing. It's a taunt from God to the unbelievers who think that they can have their way, that he's not sovereign. And God is saying, I am sovereign, not only over the Jewish people, but all people. So Joel says, in in addressing the foreign powers, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Let the nations be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Now there's a song: "Let the weak say I am strong in the name of the Lord." I think they made a mistake when they when (laughs) that's a nice song. It's true if you apply it that way, but if you link it to Joel, then you you missed it. You you missed that Joel is taunting unbelievers when he says, "Let the weak say I am strong." He's saying, yeah, work up your courage, is, is the idea. It's not going to work. It's not going to protect you from the judgment to come. So uh, they were not innocent. On the contrary, they too will be held accountable by God. Uh, the, the nations are under his control. In turn, they will be destroyed. Assyria will be destroyed. Well, first the invaders from the north, Syria and Ephraim, and then all oh, Thirty-three years later, the, the Assyrians, they were conquered by the Babylonians, and then the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians. You won't meet a Babylonian, uh, not like the Chaldeans. The closest you get is somebody from Iraq. Anyway, this now concludes the prophecies concerning the northern threat of I've said it so many times and I it's ringing in my ears. Syria and Ephraim and then Assyria. Uh, this concludes that section. And now the prophet's going to deal with the people. Verse 11. For Yahweh spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people. And before we get to what he is saying, there are those times when the voice of the Lord is unmistakable. The problem is is sometimes we want to hear from him so much we become rantrilous and we we're we, we, like, must has the Lord and it's not him. It's just, you know, and you make the mistake, so well, I guess that wasn't the Lord. And hopefully you learn to, to not be presumptuous. And a lot of Christians get make mistakes and they never seem to own it. They they keep doing it again. Uh, anyway, we be careful. The, this one is is one of those moments for Isaiah when the voice of the Lord was unmistakable. He had many of them. The whole book of Isaiah is the voice of the Lord. But this on this incident, it was very pronounced for him. Uh, God told him to get a, a, a placard and, and write down what he had to say. And we, we covered that prophecy. And now God is telling him something else and he, he picks up on it. Uh, the pressure of the circumstances around him certainly contributed to uh, his heart being sensitive to God. Ezekiel, that, that I don't think Ezekiel was a weirdo. But if you could get to the line and just not cross over it into being a weirdo, that's what he did. He went as close as you could be. He was eccentric, no question. But And God used him in a, in a very powerful way. He uses this uh, phrase, the Lord spoke to me, uh, four times. And, and God did speak to the prophet. And his prophecies are, in, are just incredible. Anyway, the, Isaiah says, and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people. Culture held no sway over this man. That's what God is telling him. I don't, I don't want you to be influenced by those around you. You be influenced by me, not them. Second Corinthians, Paul tried to tell the Corinthians the same thing. Therefore, come out from among them. Be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. Which means if you keep on with the unclean, God won't receive you. And that gets into a lot of stuff. Anyway, you youth, when the culture, when the culture does something that's sidewards, go in a different way. Remember, it's, it's, it's hard to be a Christian. It's harder to not be a Christian. Life is hard. It's it's damaged, it's defective, and we understand that. But it, but it still has purpose, and the purpose is great. Uh, it's hard to see these things in in Christian youth. That the culture, you know, what's this woke stuff? It's so stupid. And these are these are people that you, you really tout how intelligent they are, and they're dumb as a sack of hammers. <laughs> it's just like my goodness, are you kidding me? And you got. People who say they're Christians trying to somehow salvage some of these things that they're doing. I think when we talk about immaturity in Christianity, that age range could be like 13 to 30-something. Before, I think, some of them seem to figure it out. Not all of them, not all of them, but a lot of them. For instance, this passage out of Colossians. I wish I could quote this every time I was in the pulpit because it's called for. I think a lot of Christians are just either numb to it, don't want to hear it, don't know it's there. I don't know. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and powers. You're complete in Christ. You don't need to go to the world to ask, How shall I live my life? I don't think a lot of Christians believe it. I think because they, you know, incurred sadness and, you know, hardship, that somehow their Christianity is not working. No, that's when it kicks in. It kicks in in the face of those things. The world has a, a noble saying bite the bullet. Well, they're hacking off your leg. You know, that's, a, that's before painkillers, right? Anesthesia, they just, yeah put this in his mouth. <laughs> anyway, the, the idea is there are times you have to take the pain. There's no other way. And if you're going to take it, make it count for Christ against hell. Here's one of the things I would like on my tombstone. I I I, I need a billboard. I, just, I don't want just you know that. What? That's all you get. So, and I want a scrolling billboard. So look at that. His epitaph forms sentence paragraphs. Well, here's one of them. Acts chapter two, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, "Be saved from this perverse generation." Ooh. <coughs> what Christian wouldn't want that? Put that on your T-shirt. Be saved from this perverse, woke generation. And put a little picture of a sack of hammers. <laughs> well, I think it was Foghorn Leghorn. Said, his boy, as dumb as a sack of wet mice. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, this people, he's back to that, disowning them. Uh they walk in contrast to God, and so God disowns them. They're not my people. He does that. We should know that. This is something very serious. Moses, when Moses was sent to go forward, God was a little annoyed with the people, and and God says, you know, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll send my angel with you. Moses said, whoa, 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 time out, Lord. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So, we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. And then Moses said, if you don't go, don't send me. Not worth it. That's a beautiful, that, that 33rd chapter of Exodus, you know, show me now your grace that I may know you, that I have found grace in your sight. And it's just a beautiful section of scripture, Moses in dialogue with, with the Lord. Anyway, verse 12 Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Well, this this goes past Isaiah, of course. This goes to the righteous. And he's going to point that out in a little bit. But uh, God says, oppose those who oppose God. Oppose those who oppose Yahweh. Oppose those who oppose His Word. Stand up to them. Don't fear them. If they ask you, Well, what do you believe? Tell them. And when they tell you what they believe and it's kooky, say, I don't believe that. Um, And if they start giving you a hard time, I think it's fair to say, oh, so let's get this right. What you're saying is I have to do and believe what you tell me to do and believe. Let's just get this straight. That's what you're telling me. When you say I have no right to disagree with you, you're insisting I follow you. And we say, "I'm I'm not doing that. And that's, you know, the Puritans ran from people, killing them for doing, for standing up to them. Anyway, Isaiah and his associates were being accused of conspiracy. That's why the word is in our English is here. Concerning all that this people call a conspiracy. The people that aren't God's people were saying to Isaiah, Oh, you're coming against the kingdom now. You're a treasonous. You're not a patriot. Jeremiah really suffered this. He said, well, you're you're an agent for Nebuchadnezzar. He said, I'm not an agent for Nebuchadnezzar. I'm just telling you. You're going to Babylon. Build houses and gardens and, you know, do some pottery there. Because you're going to be stuck. (laughs) You're You're not coming back. I mean, for not for 70 years and it won't be all. Most of you will be dead by then. And the other bunch will be too old to make the trip. Your children will. Some of your children will make it back. Some of them did make it back, but not many. Anyway, they were trying to uh, attack Isaiah, his his character, calling him a treasonous. And God was saying to the prophet, don't you be sidetracked by that. Let them call you sticks and stones. Hurt. (laughs) But uh, you just stick close to me. And today, those who criminalize being a Christian, we have to stand up to them and tell them to their face. No, I disagree with you. Do what you got to do, but I disagree with you. Verse 13 this is continuing. God speaking to him. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hollow. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. That's some serious stuff. You want to fear somebody, Isaiah? You better be fearing me. <laughs> maybe maybe you've had a parent to tell you that. You, you want to be afraid of somebody? You better be afraid what I'm going to do to you. Never mind with your little buddies out there. My mom used to say, did you pick that up from your friends in the street? I, I want to look out the window. There's nobody in the street, mom but I would have got smacked, but I didn't say anything. She's not saying a word. My mom never hit me because I never gave her a chance. I, just, I knew, I could tell. So she's loading up. Look, when you hear that pump go click, click, you know it's coming. Don't force it. Some kids are dumb, man. It's like, boy, don't you? And they do it. And the next thing you know, they're on the moon. How did I get here? <laughs> so, anyhow, uh, I know, you, you just, sometimes your kids can make you think evolution is true, but it's not, it's not. <laughs> anyway, and then they grow up and they're like, boy, you're pretty smart, because you were an idiot when you were like 14, 15 in teenage years. I didn't. Anyhow, I was going to donate you to the Smithsonian. It's like, here, take this. Anyhow, coming back to this, verse 13. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow, let him be your fear. Well, Jesus taught us that a good good way to open prayer was to calibrate our perspective, to get our doctrine in place. In this manner, therefore, pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The absence of holiness is what? What is the absence of unholiness? Esau was a decent enough man, as men go, far as we know, but um, as spiritual as a sack of weeds. Okay, a sack of hammers, wet mice, weeds. We, we can add to this as we go on. Anyway, he, he just was not moved by spiritual things. He wasn't interested in them. Um, he, gadgets and all may have had his attention, hunting and stuff, but when it came to holy things, he just really wasn't there. And God points this out. Uh, What health is to the body, holiness is to the soul. And holiness for us is not purity on on the level of God, but it is desire for God. It is a desire for his purity according to his definitions, to be uh, separated to him and by him. Uh, So anyway, uh, let him be your fear. What is called peer pressure is often temptation to sin in some form even if it is just to pressure you to line up with their belief. Uh, and we have to learn to tell them no. And God is reinforcing the prophecy. Don't you give in to them. You're under a lot of pressure right now, Isaiah. All these people around you accusing you of all these things, saying your prophecies won't come true, talking bad about your family. Your kids aren't no, are, are no representation of what God's going to do. And God is, is, is strengthening the prophet. Uh, he says, let, let, him, let God be your dread. The world's opinion of God is of no value to me. There's just nothing in it that's worth my time. It's like, oh, tell me what you think about it. Unless I'm in an act of, of, of evangelism. Like, all right. Tell me what you believe again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, all right. Anyway, uh, I don't need the world to approve my faith. And that's what James was trying to say in James chapter 4. If you're friends with the world, you're going to be an enemy with God. You don't, you don't have to listen to them. You came out of that. Your confession of Christ was an admission that that was upside down. And you were going to hell. And whenever you think about your conversion, you think about how close you came to Sulphurville. That close to hell you were. Some of you you have had near-death experiences before you were Christians. And you got saved. And you said, well, I'm sure glad that the the bell did not toll for me then. Romans 12 Paul says, and do not be conformed to this world. And they were living in the seat of debauchery in Rome. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's your role, Christian. It takes faith and doctrine to stand against them. Not just faith, because the Jehovah Witnesses have their brand of faith, which is not God's. And they can stand against the world. Their doctrine is wrong and so it takes more than just faith to stand you have to have know the doctrine of Jesus Christ and we have it that's why we come to a bible study in the middle of the week verse 14 he will be as a sanctuary but a, he will be as a sanctuary but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of israel as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of jerusalem He will be as a sanctuary. This is to those who dread and fear the Lord more than the world, for sure. God's friendship is my sanctuary. The word sanctuary, it seems like today it's only used of places where you you leave the birds alone. It's a bird sanctuary. What do you call it when the people assemble before God's word? Some people call it an, an, an auditorium. That's what I got in elementary school. That's when you put the white shirt on once a week. You you got to go to the auditorium. It wasn't a sanctuary. We need to, you know, say, hey, there's a difference. There's a reason why these words exist. God is my sanctuary. And he has ordained the assembly. James chapter 2. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. God's friendship is my sanctuary. Isaiah was a friend of God. Uh, The prophets, the apostles, and the Christians. In contrast to those who find sanctuary in God, he says, but a stone of stumbling... And of course, this is to those who don't believe in Yahweh, and a rock of offense to both houses of Israel. Well, the stone of stumbling applied to their rejection of Christ when He came, of course. And here, what He is saying that the things I say, they get they get tripped up on that. It it offends them, the rock of offense. They're bothered by, it. and that's why they persecuted Isaiah and and. And Jeremiah. That's why they said oh, you're you know it's a conspiracy. You're you're working for the other side. Peter tells us that their rejection of God's word was because of disobedience to Scripture. So, First uh, Peter chapter two verses seven and eight. Therefore, you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief's cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So Peter's quoting this section of of Scripture. He's making a distinction, those who find Christ precious and those who don't. And that's what God is doing here. Those who find Yahweh precious and those who don't. He continues, they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. The Jews were appointed to the law of Moses and the prophets. They stumbled because they didn't like it. They got bored with it. There were better altars up in Damascus. The, the craftsmanship was just out of this world. Yeah, it was straight out of hell. And you fell for it, Ahaz, where he probably is at this moment. He says, both houses of Israel. So he's, the prophet is addressing the northern and southern kingdom. He's, these are the people that were called to be God's people. And then he says, as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Well, Jerusalem was never intended to be a trap and a snare. It was supposed to be the city where the, the, the people of God would come and, and assemble before the presence of God. And to this day, in some way, Jerusalem is a trap and a snare to people. Not because of God, not because of the scripture, but because of them. Uh, the, you know, the, many of the Jews, they rather listen to the rabbinical writings than the writings of Moses. And many Christians just, you know, they just have enough of Jesus to be saved, is what they're in their heads, and they don't care about the rest of the Bible. It's, it seems uh, just very emotional. It's sad. And it, but not, not everybody, of course. I think there is a resurgence of interest in God's Word. Um, I think it's slowly happening. I don't know how far it's going to go. I say that because I have a software with commentaries on it, and it shows how many people have highlighted a particular passage. Well, ten years ago, there weren't many underlines showing this. Now, it seems to be a lot. I'm thinking there's either an interest in the Bible teachers to actually dig into what the Bible is saying, or they're doing like some of the other ones did. They just want to know what a verse is saying so they can say what they want to say, take the Bible and spin it. I like to think it's positive that there's going to be a, a, a movement of the Spirit of God. Who, what Christian would not want to see that? But none of us have the right to call it unless God gives it to us, so we'll see what happens. Anyway, test the spirits, brothers and sisters, to see if these things are so. Don't be gullible, just because you want it to be so does not give you the right to, to insist that it is. Jonathan Edwards wrote about revivals. He says, here's some, I'm not going to say them now, maybe I'll get to them in Acts. But when he was saying, here's some signs that the revival, that they call it, a movement of the Holy Spirit, I prefer, is genuine. And one of the things he listed in there, aside from the love for God, the love for people, is love for God's word. And that's true. If there's a movement of God and the people, there's all oh, the songs are wonderful. Yeah, but what about the scripture? Amen. Well, he read a passage. What about you? You have a love for God's word? That's what the hippies, you know, and all the problems that they had and still have. Um, there was a great hunger for learning the God's word. And then there was another element that decided, no, they, they wanted the emotions more. They wanted more of the... Tongues and other things like that. And they diminished the word of God. And they're the same group that gave us the barking in the spirit stuff. Remember that goofy stuff? Could you see Paul rolling around on the floor barking in the spirit? Peter would have knocked him out. It just wouldn't have happened. Paul said, I ain't giving him that shot. (laughs) No way. Anyway, okay. So, coming coming back to this. um, We're almost done. Verse... 16, bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples. And so there is a remnant. They're students of Isaiah. They were to guard and preserve his words. And they succeeded, else we wouldn't have them. Verse 17, And I will wait on Yahweh, who hides his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Interesting. He he refers to them as the house of Jacob, because currently they were behaving like Jacob, not like Israel. And he makes this distinction of patient faith versus impatient unbelief. And, you know, just they don't have time for God. Saul epitomized that. He couldn't wait for Samuel, so he made the offering, and that was a disaster. Saul never did anything that was like, boy, that was actually pretty good. Couldn't say that about Saul. Always up to something he was. Anyway, verse 18, here am I, and the children whom Yahweh has given me, we are for signs and wonders in Israel, for Yahweh of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. So here the prophet clearly says that the two children, the two sons, uh, were his. Uh, God called the prophet's family to play a role in the prophet's ministry. That still happens to this day. Um, two, two, Two positions. I would not want to be a pastor's child. Uh, when just looking at it, in, sorry, Sophie. Uh, just looking at it from the perspective of 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 uh, without anointing, without calling, without the protection and presence of God, just the raw things, man. You know, just uh, it could be a rough ride in, in many churches. Other churches can make it more comfortable um, by just you know not not. Causing problems like that. Had Isaiah overemphasized his family, what what would have happened? What would have happened if Isaiah started, look at my family. We're prophets, you know. What would have happened? They would have been a distraction. God would have decreased and they would have increased. The eyes would have been turned to them and not to Yahweh. In Yahweh's name. The reality is they would have departed. And so we don't read of them again. We don't read about them later on. uh, You know, and his son, (laughs) Shashbaz, doesn't become the great prophet in Israel. God knows what he's doing. And that is no slight on the kids. It doesn't mean that they were bad or anything like that. They could have had very healthy ministries for all we know. So he says, we are for signs and wonders in Israel from Yahweh of hosts. And that means... The nation could not blame God. Um, And now verse 19. And when they say to you, they, the ones that are apostates, seek those who are mediums and wizards, who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? I mean, why can't, why didn't the prophets put in the back of this, are you kidding me? When they get to some verses like this. I mean, who does this? Well, everybody was doing it. These types feel darkness is all the light they need. And they're very comfortable with it. But these people were supposed to be God's people and God forbade this way back in the days of Moses. Leviticus chapter 20. A man or a woman who is a medium, not in size. <laughs> I mean, I'm a medium and I, in most things. Uh, not a mediocre. Anyway, coming back. A man or a woman who is a medium, who has a familiar spirit, who has familiar spirits, shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. <laughs> Nothing, uh, like what does that mean? Everybody knows what that means. Uh, As Mark Twain, the blasphemer, said, it's the things in the Bible I do understand that I have a problem with, uh, not the things that he doesn't. That's one of them that he would understand. Now, mediums, these are channelers. These are people trying to get in touch with the spiritual realm, talking to the dead, worshiping their dead ancestors. If the dead were so smart, why, they die? I mean, it's a fair question, right? Every seance is a practice of those who are seeking information by those who are defeated by life. I mean, life already killed you. Why am I asking you for help? You've succumbed to the curse. I'm going where you are. And as far as the death, not necessarily the the zip code. (laughs) Where do people get the idea that somehow death qualifies the dead to advise the living? See, this is baseless. There's no, where do you get this from? Well, that woke professor told me. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Same source, hell. Death, all death is a demonstration of failure. All of it. For Christ, it demonstrated our failure, not his. It demonstrated his victory. But he is the exception, of course. So, in contrast to what these people were doing in seeking the dead for advice, every prayer in Jesus' name is a practice of seeking the victor over death, the one who indeed beat death and came back. Uh, that's Christianity. The one who conquered sin is the one we talk to. We don't have a seance to talk to the dead. He's not dead. Second Peter chapter 1, his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life. How many Christians will say to that, I believe it, and then go ask the world how to live? That bothers me. Because it used to be Christians would go to the scripture to find out what is right and what is wrong and try to do it. That is um, not so much nowadays. Anyway, it says, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. The Greek gods was nothing nothing virtuous about Zeus and all the rest of them. Uh, they They were immoral. Anyway, verse 20. To the law and to the testimony, if they do not seek according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So the prophet says they're seeking dead people. That doesn't make any sense. They should be seeking the scriptures. That makes perfect sense. And if they don't seek the scriptures, they're in darkness. They have no advice for you goes back to Colossians and the philosophy and the traditions of men. So I want to read that again because it is that wonderful of a verse. To the law and to the testimony. That is to your, you could say, to the Old Testament, to the New Testament. That's, there's no New Testament yet, but I'm uh, applying it to Christianity and properly so. To the law and to the testimony, if you do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So he dismisses the baseless endeavors of those who are uh, contacting the dead. Jeremiah does has to deal with this. Jeremiah 8, 9. The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of Yahweh, so what wisdom do they have? So Jeremiah said, why are you listening to these guys? They're not smart. And these were you know, high level you know, government officials. Uh, this was the Cream of the crop as men go, and Jeremiah is saying, "Why are you listening to them? They're not—they're contradicting your scripture." Jeremiah six sixteen. Thus says Yahweh: Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths, where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. And then he tells us what they said back to him. But they said, "We will not walk in it." Defiant, defiant little rascals, aren't they? He's saying, "Why don't you just trust Moses?" Why don't you just listen to the prophets? And and they said no. Well, they persecuted him for standing up to them. Because Jeremiah never caved. Anyway, uh, no one has ever failed adhering to God's word. It's never happened. They may have been killed. But uh, they may have been persecuted. But they've never failed. You, You don't fail by adhering to God's word. You succeed. You triumph. No matter what the outcome is. Verse 21. They will pass through it hard-pressed and hungry. And it shall happen, when they are hungry, that they will be enraged and curse their king and their God and look upward. Verse 22. Then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom and anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. I mean... You really don't need any commentary. They're going to be angry with God for being God. You have no right to be God. You have to do it my way. And if I say it's more loving to do it this way, then you need to say it's more loving to do it this way. The fact is that God can prove himself to some people, and they will further resent him for it. This is is Pharaoh. Moses was saying, okay, I'll tell you what. I'm going to make those frogs... (laughs) come all over the place you know, your house and your kitchen everywhere and when you do it you'll know it was God and he did it and Pharaoh just hardened his heart he Just I'm not going to cave in he is not going to rule me this is spiritual darkness and it is irrational we're not called to understand it we're called to preach up against it and we do that by simply sharing what God says we don't have to get an attitude although it's a lot more fun when you have a little attitude <laughs> okay I don't mean a sinful attitude, but it's nice telling an unbeliever, that's crazy. Where'd you would you get that? Anyway, let's pray. Our Father, um, the history that we come across in the beginning of this chapter, may we understand it has our, its place. It's good for us to be exposed to these things. And then the second part where you get right to the point about those who want to contact the spiritual world to get some advantage over life, well, we know that you are our advantage and you are our sanctuary. And may you find us your friend and may us, uh, may we uh, enjoy it all the days of our lives. We ask you to get us home safely this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.